New Century, Steamheart by Alexander Shaw. Part One Before the Voyage. Our journey had advanced. Our feet were almost come to that odd fork in Being's Road, eternity by term. Our pace took sudden awe, our feet reluctant led. Before were cities, but between, the forest of the dead. Retreat was out of hope, behind a sealed route, eternity's white flag before, and God at every gate. Emily Dickinson Chapter 1 The Fall This is the story of the journey we took together. Each of us would lose something. Each of us would gain something. And not everyone would be coming back. Something that used to be a man runs through a forest in the fading dusk light. His naked body is caked in mud. Orange eyes search for prey and spy the walls and windows of buildings far off beyond the trees. His breathing is quick. The scent of cooking meat wafts in on the breeze. He makes his way towards a house where he will shortly attack the woman preparing the stew only to have his throat cut by her husband. This one single moment will begin a chain reaction that will transform America. It is May 10th, 1872. The day our world changed and history diverged. In the humid woods of Mississippi, a door in the air opened. It was first discovered by a former Confederate Navy midshipman by the name of Darian Clay, a resident of those parts who was hunting for his supper. He would have been confronted by an aperture, a large tear in the fabric that borders the worlds. Phenomena of this nature would later be characterized as wind doors due to the intermittent rushing sound, which can be heard at close proximity. Naturally curious, he ventured through. What came out was less than the man Darian Clay had been, and yet more. He had become what America would eventually refer to as a Wendigo 
an Algonquin word they use for eaters of men's flesh. The concept was supposed to be a great taboo to ward their people from cannibalism in the depths of winter. But now, in the feral eyes of this new species, we saw a dark reflection of man at his most savage. This is why that word was chosen, and mythology gave form to something new and very real. The first stages of the transformation take hours. The infected person's gait is lowered, alternating between stealthy, padding footfalls and rushing on all fours when prey is sighted. The frame and musculature warp and twist permanently to accommodate these movements that would be clumsy for a human. They tear the clothes from their bodies with sharp claws and teeth. Their movements become first erratic and twitchy, and then swift and decisive, and when they attack, it is with the lithe, powerful precision of a jungle cat. They are far from the mindless, dead, eating machine of the zombie, possess none of the fantastical weaknesses of the vampire, and unlike the werewolf, this metamorphosis is permanent. Their bite and their blood carry within them this infection, and those who survive an attack are mere hours from the same fate. The new condition invades their body and their mind. It takes them over, stealing away their humanity until they care for nothing more in this world than to run wild and to hunt. This happened with Helen Henshaw, the woman Mr. Clay attacked in her home that night, and the dozen people she bit in her rampage through the nearby houses, before they brought her down. It was a plague we had never prepared for, and could not conceive of. Wounds and blood were woefully underestimated for the horrors they contained. Those who turned, after leaving bites of their own, escaped off into the fields onto darkened highways, through the forests and the rivers and the swamps. Nobody could get the word out in time to warn the new people they would encounter. We just didn't have the communication back then. And we had no notion of their cunning and ruthless drive for self-preservation. Worst of all was the vicious manner with which some folks reacted seeing shadows everywhere and dreaming up all kinds of reasons for the pandemic, including foreign food, Indian magic, and the voodoo of former slaves still living in that area. Gangs were assembled. Families were invaded and executed. Their houses burned to ash. Human beings were hunted down as the monsters stalked our homesteads. And in these ways slower than you might think. Mississippi went under, followed by Louisiana and Alabama. People retreated to their houses and locked themselves in. The armies were mobilized, but far too many wound up defending fortresses and guarding survivors rather than going on the attack. The practices of the Civil War were still fresh in everybody's minds, 
and so too was the raw, wounded sentiment. National pride was at an all-time low, and Washington tarried in their response. But the southern door was not the only bridge between our world and the other place. In the frozen lands of Canada, out onto Heck Lake, in Nunavut, the northern door. In the burning sands of Egypt, the eastern door. Amid the chaos that followed, with the speed and reach that eclipsed the black death before it. The Wendigo spread out across the continents of Africa, Asia, and Europe. By the following February, the rural contagions in the American South were still rife, but few had spread far north. That was until the Ismalia, a ship sailing from Glasgow, collided with the docks in New York City Harbor, spilling an infected complement of crew and passengers out over the side. Dozens of Wendigos, ravenously hungry, swarmed into the city and spread their savage proclivity throughout the panicked, fleeing population. Picture, if you will, what it would have been like to be there on the muddy paved streets of New York. A slow-moving moment in time elapses as all around you erupts into pandemonium. Gunshots flare, lights go out, buildings are set ablaze. Mobs march the avenues, murdering all they encounter. Death lurks in every shadow, as everybody becomes separated from those they depend on. The few possessing familiarity with the Wendigo are unable to make themselves heard. People claw at one another in the dark, desperate for escape. And the injured loved one you've been nursing, a father, a sister, a partner, a child, becomes a savage beast before your eyes. One moment later, you are fighting them for your very life. Worst of all, when you look to the police, the militia, the soldiers brought in to contain the outbreak, you find yourself walled into your section of the city, unable to leave, shot for attempting to escape, trapped in the confinement with the infection, the blood, the screams, the despair. This is a moment so many who live today share some variation on. A shock and a pain and a sense of loss that can scarcely be confronted, but comes back to us as we dream. Eventually, this happened everywhere. Business was abandoned, and our planned lives left behind as we fled. Each city fell including Washington, and with it, our faith in national organization. The towns were overrun. The ports, the farms, everything that we held up as symbolic of our civilization was taken from us. A great many headed out west, looking for lands free of this plague, somewhere they could be safe. 
and wherever they journeyed, the Wendigo went with them, stalking from a safe distance, as a wolf near a flock, only to strike when it saw the opportunity. Looking back, it's no wonder so many Americans abandoned trust, abandoned government, abandoned hope. They dispersed out into the wild and formed pockets of survivors to make a new home in the dangerous wilderness. What had previously been the eastern and western states had now become contested territory, populated with scattered, armed settlements clinging to life. The question which persists for the citizens of the reunified states is how can we bring these forsaken people back together again? Is it even possible? February 27th, 1883. Now. Under the cover of the green canopy of hanging leaves, within the sweltering heat haze, whispering wind breathing back and forth through its ephemeral aperture, the southern door waits. A woman emerges. Her RSA cartographer scout uniform is torn and bloodied at the shoulder and knee. Her face is caked in sweat. Her eyes are staring and her breathing is ragged. Her name is Corporal Elizabeth Flynn and she slumps down with her back to a tree. Exhaustion threatening to overwhelm. After one blessed minute of rest granted to herself, she glances back at the doorway and struggles to her feet, regulating her thunderous heart and checking her back. She has enough provisions to last two days in the wild. Her pistol has two bullets left. Her map is gone, dropped during a desperate escape. Not far away, she knows there are several horses tethered, awaiting riders who will now never return. She will have to set all but one of them free. Elizabeth removes her brown leather coat and inspects herself. Her injuries are moderate. She uses most of her small bottle of ethyl alcohol to clean the deep cuts and, biting down on a stick, employs all of her medical gauze binding them. She checks her compass and finds north, knowing the nearest outpost at Vicksburg is two days' ride. And even that is on a skeletal staff, besieged repeatedly by the Southern Cross. She has seen the devastation that these cultists leave in their wake, stripping away everything of value like human locusts. There may not be a man alive when she gets there. Elizabeth steals herself and starts walking. 
She checks behind her from time to time. Praying, nothing has followed. have been listening to episode one of Steamheart, The Fall, written and directed by Alexander Shaw, Annie Oakley performed by Loretta Saylor, Bessie Flynn performed by Theo Lee, Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound, Long Note 2 and Ossuary composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, Many Soundscapes including Lonesome West by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dechler, and Lorraine Chisholm.